Well, we are so excited to have Charlie Dyer with us today. Charlie is married to Kathy, and he was the vice president at Dallas Seminary, executive vice president under Chuck Swindoll. He was the provost at Moody Bible Institute, and Charlie is known for being an Old Testament scholar and an authority on Middle Eastern history and geography. Mm-hmm. I was privileged to have him at Dallas Seminary, and it was a class I will never forget. And then let's just keep going on with Charlie. He writes incredible books. The Rise of Babylon on Iraq, uh, 30 Days in the Land with Jesus, 30 Days in the Land of the Psalms, mm. the ISIS Crisis. It goes on and on, but a lot of our friends know Charlie for his radio broadcast on Moody Radio, and it's broadcast now, The Land and the Book, and we just absolutely cannot miss this. We we learned so much, and we're going to get to that in a little bit, but Charlie, so good to have you. Thank you. Uh, Tom, Joanne, it is just great being with you. You know, one of the joys in our life is when our paths cross like they did in the airport in uh, London. That's right. That one time. Uh, what a, what an encounter arranged by God! But anytime we're we're with you or I'm with you, it's time well spent. Oh, oh gosh, you. Charlie, we feel the same way. In fact, one thing Tom you didn't men- mention is Tom has fallen in love with Israel and the people of That's the right. land. And that Charlie, that all goes back to you because the very first time that Tom went to Israel, you were his guide, and he learned so much at your feet—not just your knowledge and your insight in Scripture and in the land and in the people, but your passion and how you communicate that so clearly. So I thank you because I believe that the course of the direction of our life now really goes back to that very first trip to Israel that you led. So we thank you. Well, you're welcome. And you know, it's interesting, the course of my life changed in my very first trip to Israel as well. Wow. I went thinking I was going, you know, it was a once in a lifetime trip. And then uh, literally, uh, I was there saying, I've got to do this again. I've got to take people back Mm. to experience what I'm experiencing. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I remember being on that trip and, you know, Charlie, you know the story. I went back and forth. We were building a church. We were um, busy as a pastor, six kids. It was going crazy time in our life. I want to go to Israel. I don't know if I can. And finally, you called and said, hey, everybody else has signed up. There's one month to go. You're either in or out. <laughs> I said, I'm in. <laughs> and that changed. And like that student in the first row that raises the hand and always has a question, I was so afraid I was bugging you. Because I had this legal pad, this yellow legal pad, and I would sit with you at meals. And I always thought, oh, I bet Charlie's going, not this guy Here he comes again. again. (laughs) But I just had so many questions. And, of course, pre-9-11, wasn't tracking with radical Islam or anything like that. Loved the Bible. Got great training at Biola in Dallas. But you filled in the blanks with what was happening now so we could actually understand the people and... um, that brings us to our first question. You've just got to be heartbroken for what's happening in Israel in the last 10 days. You know, I really am, and over a, a number of reasons. Uh, but I start with the people. Mm. You know, we, we have friends who are, who are uh, Arab, uh, Muslim, and uh, friends who are Jewish, and uh, believing friends. Uh, and they're all being impacted. I got a letter, uh, an email. We, we wrote to a friend who lives in Ashkelon. I just wrote said, "Where? How you doing? We're praying for you." And she wrote back and said, uh, "That was the most fear that she's ever experienced in her life, uh, and yet God has protected her, uh, and she feels safe. That they, there's more, more determined than ever." But uh, it was just a, a heartrending uh, letter of what she's been living under 
that here in the states we just can't begin to imagine. Yeah, you uh, you can't. And here here in this biblical city Ashkelon, and we read our Bibles, one of the five Philistine cities. What history it has, but it's within ten miles of Gaza, and she was in harm's way. Yeah, uh, she was, and and still is. There's still even mm-hmm. as we're talking, rockets being fired. Uh, in fact, the one thing she did add in it was uh, she's not she's not. Uh, a pro-war, you know, one of these bloodthirsty individuals, but she said they could hear when the Israelis responded then to the rocket fire, mm-hmm. she said uh, to think there were people putting themselves in harm's way to protect her. Wow. Mm-hmm. That gave her an appreciation for them that she hadn't experienced before. Wow. Wow. And you're right, we cannot relate to that here in the States. We really can't. And they have been living under just this latest crisis for the last 10 days with no reprieve at all. Yeah. It has, and you know, and then you go to the other side and say, and the people in Gaza are the same way, but they don't have the safe rooms in their yeah. in their buildings. Uh, they're struggling, you know, tens of thousands now without homes uh, uh, again, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and they had so little to start with. That's it's just mm-hmm. heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking, mm-hmm. and we know people on that side of the fence, and they are living in fear. And think about as a, a mom or a dad with young children, and that constant. You know, that boom that shakes the house, that you hear it, and and how scary that is for children. And how do you reassure your kids when that's happening? And as you just said, Charlie, and there's not a bomb shelter to run to to protect your your precious children. Yeah, and they, they have the same love for kids that we have for our kids. That's right. Uh, right. And, and to know there's nothing, you're, you're defenseless, you're unable to protect yourself. That's, there's pressure on the parents, but those kids are experiencing trauma that will impact them yeah. for, for years and decades to come. Mm. So Charlie, true. who's behind all this? Why did it start, and who, who started this conflict 10 days ago? Uh, I, I blame, it will start with radical Islam and Hamas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Israel, it, they, the, the world is saying it's when Israel's soldiers went up on the Temple Mount, up on the uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque. Mm-hmm. But they didn't go up there until rocks were being thrown down on cars and on people below yeah. uh, by the radical Muslims. Uh, Hamas then said that they started firing rockets in response to Israel being on the Temple Mount. Uh, but there was a little bit more cynicism involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, the elections for the Palestinians have been postponed. Uh, they're positioning themselves to try and take over from the Palestinian Authority. Mm-hmm. So they fire rockets. Just they didn't expect Israel to respond to the extent Israel has. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been a it's been a horrific conflict. But ultimately, you can lay the blame at the feet of Hamas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, being in Gaza years ago, I was with Pastor Hana. And the people, this was way before Hamas got elected. And Charlie, they were so um, sick of Hamas, so over Hamas and just the terrorism and that. And I asked the pastor, who do you think is going to win the election? And he said, well, it won't be Hamas. The people are so angry at them. Well, about three or four months later, I was back in Gaza. And as we drove in, Charlie, I saw a sea of green flags. So Palestinian Authority would be yellow, Islamic Jihad black, Hamas green. And I said, do you, to the pastor, do you think that Hamas can win? He said they're going to win easy. They're going to win easy in a landslide. They've manipulated the news. People just don't realize what they're going to get when Hamas gets elected. And of course, this is what we get, rockets and terrorism and and good-hearted people in in uh in Gaza that don't want war with Israel and don't hate him. I'm sure that's surprising to people when they just see what comes out of Gaza, but 
we've been there and and they're just absolutely miserable what what part does iran play in this uh, iran's fingerprints are all over this uh there were drones in this conflict that were being flown toward israel from hamas uh, that's sourced in in uh, tehran uh these rockets which are becoming ever uh, more effective uh, they're longer range more destructive uh, the plans, if not even some of the prototypes and some of the equipment, came from Iran. Uh, they they try and smuggle it in, the, ultimately through Egypt and through some of the smuggling tunnels. They were trying to send it uh, by sea. Israel has closed off that border. Uh, but you're, you're watching Iranian um, support. Uh, they, they've called, you know, their, their leadership has called Iran and, and uh, puffed up the leader, or puffed up the leadership of Hamas. Sorry, mm. uh, but announcing to them, you know, you're doing great things. Mm. So Iran has been uh, really doing everything they can in this. Although, let me tell you how cynical they are. If they really believe that, they would have been pushing Hezbollah to attack. That's right. They're not, and the reason is that Iran is so bankrupt uh, financially. They need the U.S. to end, to to be back in the nuclear agreement and free up funds. So they're, they're keeping Hezbollah out of the conflict, allowing Hamas to be just battered mm. and Gaza to be battered because it, sur- it suits Iran's interests. Oh, man. And they have captured the public uh, on, on the news. It's, it's so uh, heartbreaking to see. And so actually then the sanctions against Iran worked, didn't they? They did. Uh, they, they have taken that country down. They've they have helped them not support terrorism to the extent that they were in the past. And when those sanctions are lifted, uh, the average person in Iran isn't going to be experiencing fina- uh, financial benefit from it. Uh, it's the government and their support for their their spread of jihad and their spread of terrorism mm. that are really going to be the winners. Mm. Well, you know, one thing that's different this time, Charlie, I see the body of Christ praying for both sides. Right. And we love that. We love seeing yes. that. They're, both sides are miserable. Look, look at your friend in Ashkelon and some of our friends in, in Gaza. And I love seeing the body of Christ come together to pray. That's right, because every soul matters. It doesn't matter what their nationality is or their religion. Jesus desires that every single soul will turn to faith in him. And as sad as watching this horrible continuing bombing unfold, as horrible as that is, the the good that's coming out of it is people are becoming desperate. And people that don't know Jesus are calling out to God saying, where are you in this and who are you? And so our prayer is what Satan is meaning for evil. God will use for good and the good will be countless souls in heaven because of the desperation they call out to, to faith in Christ. I agree with you completely. And it is on both sides. We need to be praying for the believers uh, in, in Gaza and in Israel and the, in the West Bank mm-hmm. uh, for protection, but also for boldness. Yes. Uh, because they're the ones that have the answer. The truth. Uh, the, ultimately, it's the change in the human heart that's going to bring a change in the Middle East. And we just need to pray that uh, God will lead them to the right people and give them the words to say, to share that message of peace and hope because that's what will bring about a change. Amen. Amen. They need that holy boldness, like Paul said, not being ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power unto salvation. Um, But you're right. There needs to be a holy boldness and fear needs to get out of the equation. We're the only ones that have the answer. We're the only ones that have truth. And how risky is that in Gaza? Mm. Wow. Humanly speaking. Oh, my gosh. Okay, Charlie. So... How many hundreds of people have you taken on Bible tours? You've done Israel, Jordan, Egypt, Paul's journeys. You've trained dozens of leaders and pastors. I'm just one of them. 
Okay, we got to ask you yeah. a question. We've been dying to ask you. Yeah, that. how many times have you been to Israel now and Jordan? Yeah, this is terrible. I lost count. Kathy, <laughs> I, 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 Kathy has been better. When you know, the first trips I did were student trips, pastor trips, uh, other trips that she couldn't go on. But she's been there sixty-five times. Oh wow! Well. I think I'm over a hundred, but I, I totally lost count. I've tried to reconstruct it, and I can't. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. But that totally makes you an expert in the Middle East. So as we are hearing all that you're sharing, we know that that comes from years of insight and wisdom of being in the land and knowing the people and the politics so well. So you are a solid source for us. And so we appreciate you taking time to talk with us today, Charlie. And one of the books that I wanted to talk about is The Traveler's Guide to Israel that you wrote with Greg Hatterberg and everybody uses that. That's right. It's the resource of Israel and we're so indebted uh, to you doing that. How, how fun was that, putting that one together? It was fun. It, you know, we did for years uh, uh, Xerox copies. <laughs> uh, we, we, we would try some stuff and, and Greg, Greg Xerox them off, we'd give them to the groups and we'd come back and say, oh, wait, that was great, this didn't work so well. And so we probably went through uh, you know, 20 or 30 revisions till we finally got it uh, where it was able to be put in print. Wow. Uh, but, but I found the average person going to Israel, they got on a bus, had no idea where they were, got off, saw site, took pictures, got back on the bus. And you know, each day they would say, this is unforgettable. By day four, they're going, where was I again? Yeah, where was right. This yes. And so just providing that snapshot, uh, a, a little, little map that shows them, here's where this place is, here's what happened there. Uh, was so helpful and then of course how to pack right what to expect uh, I, I just found it was an investment you know people are investing time and money to go uh, and that that little bit of preparation before and, and during can pay lasting dividends for years afterward oh my gosh should we have our team as they're with us just pull it out at the sites if you're in Jericho what happened right. here? let's just do a quick review and it's a topical it's like a topical Bible and just goes from one place to another. So helpful. So I've got a question here. If you had three days in Israel, only three, where would you take the people? Oh, man. Uh, They'd be driving a lot because we're going to have to spend a day in Galilee. Oh, my gosh, We've got to go around the Sea of Galilee. We've got to visit some of the sites that are connected with Jesus. Mount Arbel is essential. Yep. And if if I can really push them, I'm going to get up on the Golan Heights because that ties Mm -hmm. in the past into present. Second day, we're heading down toward the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I love Jericho. I love the, you know, of course, you know this, the Judean wilderness, mm-hmm. the Wadi Kilt. Uh, that, the, you tie in the Old Testament and all the way up to Jesus in the wilderness. That's right. That place of testing and the place where God is found faithful uh, and it hasn't changed. So uh, from the life of Abraham all the way up to the time of Jesus, uh, the wilderness unfolds the Bible. And then the third day has to be Jerusalem and the area around Jerusalem, uh, because that's that's ground zero, uh, both for God's plan for redemption, bringing his son, but also for what's going to happen in the future and what's happening today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, people don't understand the Middle East if they can't understand uh, the, the nature of Jerusalem and why they, they can't make peace over it and why the Temple Mount is that center of the bullseye. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. Well, that would be an amazing three days. And I remember on our first trip, going down to the desert from Sea of Galilee, going down the Jordan River Valley there, and we're on a bus, and you were saying you're seeing the terrain change. It doesn't look as beautiful. It, there's no water like you see at Galilee. 
but this is really my favorite place because of what happened in the lives of God's people mm -hmm. in the desert, in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's always the place of testing and always the place where God showed he was faithful. And what's true physically in the Bible is true in our lives every day. So it, it has this direct application to us. Oh, yes. Boy. Okay. And you know what? The one thing about the wilderness that I love is when you first see it, it looks so barren. But when you're there for a while and you have eyes to see and a heart to take things in, you see it is teeming with life. And it's the same way with our spiritual lives. We can be in a really dry spell or going through a lot of trials, feeling like we're, you know, spiritually in the wilderness. But if we just take time to listen to the Lord and to see with eyes that are spiritual eyes, we start seeing that this is where God starts digging down roots and he starts allowing us to grow in him and flourish in a brand new way that we would miss if we didn't go into the wilderness. That's so true. Yep, absolutely. That's so true. Well, you know, you think about David when he's running from Saul and God told him he would be king, but it didn't look like it when Saul was throwing spears at him and he's ducking and Jonathan's giving him cover and helping him. And David's running around in the desert and he gets to En Gedi. And I just remember you teaching there, Charlie, what happens at En Gedi? Saul's there, David's there, what happens? Yeah, from a human perspective, you go, what a chance occurrence. You know, David's hiding in this cave. Uh, Saul goes in to uncover his feet, or to cover his feet, sorry, uh, which is the, a euphemism for saying he had to go to the bathroom and <laughs> wanted a private place. And so here's David's men whispering to him in the cave saying, you got it, just God, God just orchestrated this. You're going to get the kingdom right away. Uh, David slices off a little piece of the robe that Saul had set off to the side. But then we learn about David's conscience, and that even bothered him to do that. Mm -hmm. he, he wouldn't let them attack Saul. Then, come, then he reveals himself, which could have been sure death. But I think uh, God used that to show Saul how, how David has such a pure heart. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, you know, it's, it's one of those, how do you handle critics in your life? And uh, David gives us a great example. But there's one piece at the end of it all that I love. It says, so Saul went his way. Saul went home. He, he goes up the, the valley, heading back toward uh, Bethlehem, then Jerusalem, then Gibeah. And it says, and David went to Hametzudah. Uh, Saul heads to the north and, and west. David heads south and east. Mm. And, uh, and basically says, uh, I don't trust him. Yeah. So he goes up on Masada and watches to make sure Saul doesn't double back and try and, and attack him. Yeah. And it, it showed me, you know, we need to have trust. We need to have dependence on God. And we need to use the wisdom God gives us as well. That's right. Amen. That is a beautiful description that I think so many of us would miss, not understanding the, you know, the, ge the ge not the geology, what I'm trying to say, the geography, there thank you, you of Israel. But you've been there so much that you understand the underlying message there in those verses. That is powerful, Charlie. Yeah. You know, that's my very first trip to Israel. That was the, the takeaway for me all every day. I would sit there going, I'd read this my whole life. It it, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. It makes so and, much more sense, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It's, I, I tell people, it's like trying to play chess, but if you've never seen a chessboard and somebody's telling you, well, this little piece moves two steps one way and one step another, and you're going, huh? <laughs> uh, once you see the layout, then you realize that they were writing this. It, it was real events happening in a real place, mm -hmm. and they make perfect sense. And, and you know, David wasn't... As, as strong as he should have been after that. But I think he learned a great lesson at Angeti, and I think he learned that, hey, if God said I'm going to be king, I'm as safe in the desert, I'm as safe in the palace. He's going to protect mm -hmm. me, and he will make sure that that happens. 
beautiful lesson at En Gedi. Okay, so let's say we're going into Jerusalem right now, and we're going to stop and be on top of the Mount of Olives and look at the old city. What do you normally tell people? We're taking people kind of on a journey because they haven't been able to go to Israel for over a year now. So, yeah. Well, first thing I point out there is the, the, uh, the Dome of the Rock because that's the one thing that they can see that's a clear identifier. And then I point out the sandbox that Herod the Great built around it. Uh, we're looking for a mountain, you know, Mount Moriah, but mm-hmm. there's a square platform. Herod decides to make the, the hill bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I could point out that's where the temple stood. You know, mentally put a temple on top of that hill. You got it. And then then the second thing I point out is where the original city of David was. It's not in the old city. Mm-hmm. It's outside, and it's this tiny little ice cream cone shaped piece of land. Uh, but it was there because that's where the water supply was. And suddenly you read about the stronghold of Zion, mm-hmm. uh, and they they recognize it. And and then history wise. We have Jerusalem all together, but you have to ask, which Jerusalem are we talking about? David's, and then Solomon makes it bigger when he puts the temple on the Mount Moriah. Mm-hmm. Hezekiah made it bigger. Uh, it, it helps people recognize why Jerusalem seems so complex, because it changed over time. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so dead. Charlie, thinking about some of your other travels, what, what are some of your other favorite countries to take Bible tours in? Uh, you know, I, I love Jordan. Uh, part of it's Petra, part of it's uh, some of the other sites that, are, that aren't that spoiled and aren't that visited, uh, but they have some incredible uh, ruins there, but incredible event, events. I, I think Jordan is the other holy land right. in the sense that so many of uh, the events of the Bible took place there. I love Egypt. Now, mm-hmm. my wife would disagree with me there. <laughs> She's not as big a fan, but uh, just in terms of the uh, the riches of Egypt, you know, everything you read about in Egypt in the Bible and you, you see everything from the pyramids all the way down to uh, Karnak and Luxor, and you go, this was incredible. And yet God tells Moses to leave this, and uh, everything that's said about him in Hebrews comes to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I like Greece and Turkey. Yeah. Turkey, uh, I'm not so fond of the president of Turkey right now, <laughs> but, but the people there are wonderful, and sites like Ephesus and Pergamum are spectacular. Uh, people don't ex- don't know uh, what to expect when they get there, and they're they're blown away by them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, they really are. You know, the first time, Charlie, I went to Jordan and got a chance to see Jerash, and you walk up and go in the gate there, and you look at how long and how wide this right, place huge. is. It was just massive. I hadn't seen anything. I mean, Beit Shan maybe close to that in Israel, mm-hmm. but it was just massive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. You know, it's funny. I'll tell you a funny story on, on uh, Jirash. Uh, we, we took our son and daughter there. My son was uh, 13 at the time. He was at an awkward age. Went into the theater, which is a beautiful theater, and he's up on top. And he decides he's going to jump from the fir- fir- front row of seats off the off onto the, the stage area, the stone area. Yeah, yeah. But he, he got his, his feet caught mm-hmm. on the little lip and did a belly flop on you know, that four feet down onto the stage. Oh, uh, so ow. There's this gasp that goes through the group as they see that happen. He, he was okay. Ugh. But I, I can't think of Jirash without thinking Thank of you, that, that uh, heart-stopping moment. Oh, my gosh. That there is must not have a been... soft landing, that's no, for sure. No, on the hard rock. It was, uh, it was as good as a 13-year-old and not some of us older individuals. Right. Uh, we would have been on our way to the hospital and... You just picture there had to have been an angel underneath there being a little heavenly pillow for him to kind of soften that fall. 
Okay, so you have taken, gosh, thousands of people to Israel. Do you have any funny stories of the people, not even maybe people on the trip or even people from the land that you can share oh, with did. us? In fact, I spent this last year. I'm, I'm working on a book uh, that hopefully is going to be published in another year. Uh, I ran today where Jesus walked is my title. Oh, knows that's what the, great. The publishers will call it. But it has some of the stories. Uh, and uh, it, it usually, uh, I, I got to think some of them are, are uh, well, some, some of them are really funny, but I'll, I'll try and think of a nice one that's, uh, uh, we, you know, baptisms in the Jordan River are, are oh, just gosh. incredible. Yeah. Uh, but, but we've had a couple of them. We've had times when somebody, get, not part of our group, comes up to be baptized. You know, if, if someone comes to faith in Christ uh, in Israel, they, they tell them, just go up there, find a group, and you need to be baptized. So right. uh, the, Doug Cecil was the uh, Dallas Seminary's alumni director at the time, and he's um, getting ready to you know, do the baptism with a group, and uh, at the end of it, here comes this guy in front, and, and he can't speak English, Doug can't speak, I think he was speaking Russian, uh-huh. uh, Doug couldn't speak Russian, and so, pantomiming, Doug, take, Doug takes two fingers, points to a cross, he makes a cross and points to his uh-huh. heart, the guy shakes his head, yes, Doug reaches out to baptize him, and the guy just dunks himself. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so we had a, a self-baptism, uh, with with no words spoken in between, but we oh, we all understood what was going yes. on. Oh my god! The gosh. angels rejoicing in heaven. Amen. They're loving that and chuckling. That's right. <laughs> Charlie, didn't you have someone? Now, well, let me just set the scene. For when we're touring, we always say to people, "Let's all get off the bus. Let's go together. Let's get to the site. We're going to give you a chance to take pictures. And after you hear where you are, you're going to know a lot more from the Bible. You'll know what to take pictures of. But inevitably." That doesn't include the whole team. Didn't you have a guy that kept showing up at the wrong time? Oh, and his name was Walter, of all things. Uh, yeah, we would get done explaining something, and then then Walter would come up saying, so what are we looking at? Oh, uh, we didn't count on the bus. If Walter was on the bus, everybody was there, because he was always last. The last one. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. And leaving it's... Israel. You know, you go through the security, and I, I told people what to expect, but I knew he was going to be the problem. So I asked Walter, because he was a little older and taller, I said, could you anchor the back of the line? But that was, it was sin in my heart, because I, my thought was, I want all my rest of the group to get through security <laughs> before they, they confront Walter. And it was the old old part of the airport, you know, they, they drove through, like, bank lines. Yep, you know, yep. So we're pushing our little carts back and forth, and I'm in the lead, and then I realized I'm, I'm at a dead end. I'm at the wall. Walter's now at the front of the line. Oh, no. And I'm trying to get back, but before I can get there, security comes, and and they start asking the questions, were you ever uh, apart from the group? You know, did you go meet somebody? So Walter thinks, he goes, yeah. You know, he went to the bathroom all by himself. Oh, uh, uh, was your luggage uh, with you? Has it always been with you since you packed it? He, no. Oh, no. We, all, we, we hand carried it and put it under the bus, but you know, he didn't see it when it was under the bus. Oh, my God. Uh, he answered every question wrong. And the last question is, do you have any, any weapons or anything that can be used as a weapon? And his answer was, uh, just some bullets. Oh, no. Oh, no. He picked him up on the Golan Heights. Oh, no. Never bothered to share that with anybody until now. Oh, uh, they went Lord. Everyone's luggage. It was nearly three hours till we got oh. through. We almost missed the flight. <gasps> oh, my gosh. He's in your book, I'm guessing. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, it. Oh, that I love that. Love that story. You know, when you think about it, people go over, and they've been waiting to do this their whole lives. This is like what... People are hoping for at their wedding, you know, they've just, they've been their whole life, they've read the Bible, they go to Israel, physically they're spent from the jet lag, 
emotionally they are as they're connecting with the sites. When they see Galilee, I remember the first time I saw it, it just took my breath away. Right. You said there's the Sea of Galilee. And I went, oh my gosh, Jesus walked on that. So that's happening. And then spiritually, they are wiped out too. And strange behavior can happen. Talk a little bit about Jerusalem syndrome and some of the things yes. that can happen with that. Yeah. And I, 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 I thankfully say we've never had a case of Jerusalem syndrome on our group. I Praise thought for, in one particular tour I was going to have it, and God spared us. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's a known psychological disorder, and it's people becoming so overwhelmed uh, that they have a, a break with uh, reality. And uh, they, they, people, they'll find them wrapped in a bed sheet on this, the balcony of their hotel, thinking that they're uh, prophets of God, that God has sent them. Mm. And uh, they just they they go over the edge emotionally, uh, and what they do, of course, is they, they take those individuals, they check them into the uh, uh, psych ward at uh, the hospital, uh, and in about a week or ten days, they you know, they, they manage to get them back into a sense of grasp of reality. Sadly, they miss the tour, yeah, uh, as they uh, and and go home. So after all that time, they're just overwhelmed emotionally to the point where they they can't function. Wow. And then that is a sad thing. We we have never had anyone on any of our tours with Jerusalem syndrome either. We do tell people about it because it is a real thing and it does happen often. Like you, God has been so gracious to spare us from having to deal with that. Wow. Yeah, I, I we've had the, some close calls. We've had some close calls. We hear about a wing in Hadassah Hospital where they take them there and they deprogram yeah. them, and you know. Someone comes to the wall and they're the Messiah and they say, you're the Messiah. Yes, I'm the Messiah. Great. We have your room ready for you. and We're going to take you there. One, one guy, Charlie, was Elijah and he was at the wall and, you know, criticizing everybody. He's got a word from God and they hauled him in and started questioning him. Who, who are you? I'm Elijah. Where, well, okay, where are you from? I'm from heaven. I came down from heaven. Okay, where's your passport? Don't have one. Finally, they had to just work and work and work the guy. And finally, it wasn't Elijah. It was Ernie from Wyoming. That just, <laughs> just lost it. And he's Elijah now. And it's bizarre, but Israel's used to that. It's 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 a real thing. Well, when are you going back? What do you, what do you have on the calendar? Uh, Lord willing, and I say that, but with, with uh, confidence, June 13, we're supposed to leave. Mm, wow. Praise God. That is so I'm, exciting. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm praying that the, the war mm-hmm. ceases, that the uh, airline flights resume. Uh, but I feel like it, it will, know, knowing the history of that region. Right. It's a small group of four, and I'm going to be doing some uh, filming mm-hmm. or videoing. I, I want to do some uh, short videos of every day. Just to help people recognize the sites are still there. They haven't been bombed out of existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and help people realize how normal it is that hopefully that will encourage people to, to start going back once they really do open up to tourists. Mm. Wow. What can, a great idea. You're going to be like the first in, and rightfully so. That's right. That's right. Well, I, I have a feeling that we're going to have these sites pretty much to ourselves. Yeah, I uh, bet. Which, which certainly wasn't true the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds you of. The time after 9-11 when, um, the, you know, the Intifada had started and just wasn't no one was anybody there. there. I remember we were in Tel Aviv getting a falafel and a Jewish man was crying, saying, uh, we can't believe people are here. Nobody's coming here. Even the Jews in New York aren't coming. And they were so touched. So I think we can make a statement for Israel mm-hmm. by going back. Uh, and what, what do you think the opening's going to look like? What are going to be the standards to get back in? And what do you think Israel's going to do? 
Oh, it's it's uh, they're they're being extra cautious. We have to go within seventy two hours of flying, and and get a, a PCR test. To, you know, make sure mm-hmm. we don't have COVID. Then when we we have to prove that we have to have the uh, certificate of vaccination uh, for the COVID virus. You know, mm-hmm. we, we've been vaccinated against it. When we get to Israel, we have to do another PCR test. When we get in the airport, and an antibody test. Wow. So the two tests are required. So they have a lot of things they're doing. They they set up uh, standards for the hotels, uh, for the uh, for the the sites. You know, they they thankfully they're they're starting to relax some of those standards for masking. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a while, you had to be masked even outdoors. Uh, but they they have done such a good job of vaccination uh, that they're 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 really opening up. They're just concerned about having people come in uh, who aren't vaccinated. So. Um, I, I think that's they're going to start quite extreme, mm-hmm. and then what I expect is as the summer goes on, they'll realize we don't need to do all of this, and those those uh, rules and regulations will get relaxed by by the fall when a lot of tours start going back. Mm. And they, that could be a real wave of tours. Uh, we're supposed to be there twice in the fall. One of our trips, eighty people have signed up. I mean, just I think don't you think, Charlie, that some are sensing we may not have a lot. Of more time to go back to Israel, you know? Yeah, I think so. I, I think for two reasons. One, because of prophecy. You, you look at things and say, and times could be getting closer. And I think also there were people who pretty much said, yeah, I, I'll, do, I'll do that in my five-year plan. It's going to be down the road. And the pandemic was a good reminder to say, you don't know what tomorrow's bringing. That's true. And now this so war. <laughs> calling you, you better go. That's, That's right. right. That's uh, yeah, right. now this war, so it can't help, but we can't help but wonder. So that, I guess, is two questions I have for you. One, you know, what do you think where we are in prophecy is the first question. And then secondly, is there anything else that you would want to share with our listeners, whether it's something about the conflict that's going on now or something, you know, to propel them to go to Israel or to see while we're there or whatever? So uh, Yeah, well, I'll do both those. In terms of prophecy, I wish I were a prophet and knew exactly where we are. <laughs> but what I, what I tell people is uh, if, if you want to have the, the broad picture, which Jesus told us, when you see the leaves, you know, summer's coming, mm-hmm. we need to be looking at the big picture. And the big picture is watch what's happening that, to the extent that Israel starts becoming the center focus of the world and the world turning against Israel. Uh, that's where we're going to see the end times uh, uh, and, and what we're going to see taking place there. Uh, watch Europe trying to, to somehow unite itself and a leader coming out of Europe mm-hmm. who's going to try and, and do it. Uh, watch watch for for uh, Iran and Turkey and Russia mm-hmm. uh, to uh, be uniting because that's one of the major early battles in the end time programs. And you, know, you watch the news and go, wait a minute, you're, you're describing what right. the news is saying today. So right. uh, we don't set a date, but boy, those sure do look like uh, – indications that it could be close right now in terms of the last thing i'd like to share with somebody mm-hmm. uh it's uh, uh if you're hearing this thing i'd like to go to israel but man that's a dangerous place uh go to israel mm-hmm. uh, in reality the news what you're seeing is a slice of reality but even in and as you would know tom if you go to the gaza strip which we don't uh but if you went to the gaza strip huge chunks of it there's nothing been touched. Mm-hmm. There's okay. certain areas where they've experienced the destruction. Ashkelon in Israel has experienced mm-hmm. destruction, but Caesarea has not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there are uh, the places that the average tourist goes. Uh, there's been no damage, no problems, no difficulties, and uh, people would be amazed at uh, what they'll know, what they get to know about the Bible and about Jesus and their spiritual life if they go. Mm-hmm. It's the greatest investment I ever made, and uh, I've invested a large part of my life to help others. 
mm. uh, get that same investment because I know what a difference it'll make in their lives. Mm. Charlie, beautiful answer. Beautiful, Amen. Beautiful answer. You know, with the number of times we've gone over 80 uh, to Israel and you're way past that. I just started doing some math, the average number of days on a trip and realized I'd been lived two and a half years of my life in Israel. And you weigh more than and you're that. five to eight or something, you know, and, and no wonder we are blessed. Mm -hmm. We've been able to see where Jesus walked, where everything happened for our salvation in Jerusalem. We've been able to walk those, those streets and open the Bible and study it on location. There's, there's just nothing like it. Mm -hmm. It will change your life. It changed ours. And it all started with you That's right. taking us. And thank you, Charlie, for right. all you've done for our lives and so many around the world that That's have gone right. to Israel with you. You know, Charlie, well, it also has a ripple effect as you take, for instance, Tom and I have been, and then we share that ripple effect with others, even those that maybe haven't had a chance to go yet. And so, again, you even more so, not only the lives you've brought there, the souls that have been there and seen and their lives transformed, the scriptures coming alive, but then the people that they touch. And so really it won't be until we're in heaven one day that you will really see the investment that you have given, sacrificed in many ways, and how there'll be souls in heaven because of it. So um, God has used you remarkably, you and Kathy both, and we are honored to call you friend. So thank you for pouring into our lives. Oh, you are welcome. Uh, I feel the same way about the two of you. You have been such a blessing. So uh, we, we all have that same uh, fever we caught traveling to Israel. And uh, let's just hope we can pass that that on that virus on to other people. Amen. That's a good virus. That's a good pandemic. Well, one last story. You know, we took six of our kids to Israel on a trip in 2001 before 9/11 happened. Of course, we didn't know it was coming. Six of our kids. We God was all calling us out of the church to go and and start nonprofit in in the Middle East and you know reach Jews and Arabs. And so we didn't know that was coming either. Took our six kids, and after that, when we get back. Uh, some of them, you know, over the next couple of years, didn't do so well in college as far as following Jesus. They just didn't. They got into the party scene mm -hmm. and all mm -hmm. that. Walked um, away from the Lord. Yeah, really, really walked away from Jesus. But one of our sons, John Mark, They've said all this. come back now, though. Praise God. <laughs> we praise God for that. John Mark said this. He said, you know, Dad, I could never really walk too far from God and Christ. And I said, really? Why, why is that? And he said, because I've been to Israel. I know it's all true. And I'm telling you, that cost us an arm and a leg to get all six mm -hmm. of the kids there. We were paying it for years. I think mm -hmm. we put it on a credit card, not the smartest thing to do, but we did it. And I said to Joanne, it was worth mm -hmm. every, every penny. penny to hear that. It's a spiritual investment. And that's what happens when people go with you. They'll really never be the same. So thank you for all you're doing. We just are privileged to to work with you and cheer you on and any final things you want to say uh just uh, thank you and uh, by the way if people want to take a quick tour uh, if they go to the land the land in the book facebook page mm -hmm. uh, starting in mid-june uh they can follow along because i hope to put up a video every day awesome uh, it's kind of an ambitious project but if they want to see what israel looks like just go on Facebook to The Land in the Book, and uh, hopefully around June 15, I'll start putting those videos up. Oh, oh my gosh, we look so forward exciting. to that. Okay, we got to mark our calendars. Yes. Yeah, you've got to listen to The Land in the Book. Charlie's got great uh, books that he's written, but weekly, this program on Moody, and you can get on your podcast, we listen to it. It's on Saturday on Moody Radio. 
but then you can get on your podcast and uh, so many things. The Bible, uh, Amazing Israel. Inventions in Israel. Yeah, the news. It yeah. is just, uh, you have a blast doing that program with John Geiger, don't you? Oh, I sure do. It's, it's God put a team together that I just, uh, I'm, I'm so thankful for. Mm. Amen. Well, Charlie, thank you so much. It's been a great time. We love you. God bless you. Go to Israel, young man. That's right. Thank you, Charlie. <laughs> I think and that is the will of God for my life. Thank you, guys. Amen. Amen. And love to Kathy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.